Being digitized. Uh, digitized. All right. Well, good morning. We're going to pick up again in the in the book of James, and the book of James is about the testing of our faith. Now, Vanessa and Kevin, you're going to have some testing this next week, are you not? Yeah. Okay. Now, the purpose of testing is to Evaluate how much you know, to calculate your skill, and so forth. And uh, sometimes we approach this, remembering my own college days, with trepidation, sometimes with confidence saying, no, I got this. It's going to be fine. But we always look back at the grade we get, and then we smile or not, but, you know, if we really did well. Are we not happy when we pass the test? Yes, we are. Okay. Well, James is writing in uh, the 40s A.D., the earliest letter in the New Testament to be written. And at this time, the the church has not uh, become... Gentile in its in its makeup so much as it came to be known, but after the the uh, death of Stephen, when a great persecution came out, and you remember who was in charge of that? Yeah. Well, the, many of the believers, all Jews now, scattered out of Jerusalem, and they went maybe back. Some of them back home to where they used to live somewhere in the Roman Empire. There are Jewish communities all over. But others, you know, if Jerusalem was a bad place to live, it wasn't safe, and you had a a relative in this far-off place, you went there, it's a lot safer. But the result was the gospel went out to all these places, to Jewish communities. Now, I sometimes assume, from reading the book of Acts and reading Paul's journeys, that when he... It was his practice when he would come to a new city. If there was a Jewish synagogue there at all, he would go there on the Sabbath to find fellow Jews, and he would preach the gospel. I've always assumed, but I began to question that as I've been studying in James, was, was this the first they heard about Jesus of Nazareth, and that he is the Messiah? I think in many cases that was not so. But... We know what happened with Paul's teaching. There were some who believed, but what what was the attitude of those Jews who did not accept Paul's teaching? Well, they became very hostile. So much so that in the earliest days of the of the Gentile church, and it was certainly true of the Jewish church in Jerusalem, the persecution was led by the Jews. Okay, so now keep in mind People have dispersed. They come there and they said, have you heard what happened in in Jerusalem about Jesus of Nazareth? He was the Messiah and they crucified him. But he was raised from the dead. (laughs) And there had been some arguments in those synagogues, I just want to tell you. Now, when we look at the wilderness wandering of the nation of Israel throughout Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we see repeated over and over again the 
the concept that God says he was testing his people to see if they would obey him or not. He makes that clear. That is the purpose of God, at least one of the purposes of God for us in testing us. It is though he's saying, okay, you, you've made your boast, you've said you're a Christian, are you really? Are you going to obey me or not? Are you going to trust me or not? Are you going to believe my word or not? Okay. It has been said by a number of, of uh, Bible scholars as they, as they study this concept of testing in Old and New Testaments, and as they as they look at, at uh, the responses that we, we believers, we humans have in the, in the midst of trials and testing, that the first thing that we tend to want to doubt is the goodness of God. Why did God let this happen to me? Uh, I wonder if some of these believers that James is writing to felt that way. So James writes to them this little letter about the testing of their faith and, and, and a general outline here is chapter 1, faith is tested by trials. Chapter 2, faith is proven through works. Chapters 3 and 4, faith is evidenced by conduct. And chapter 5, faith is experienced through persecution. So first... As we come to, we're going to start again here in James chapter 1. Let's read the first half of this chapter. So follow along. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man, and unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position and the rich man in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, James writes to these Jewish communities, Jews dispersed throughout the empire, and he says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Now that's a, a verse that has troubled Christians for a long time. Now what does he mean here? And, I, and I, I want to come back to this again because I think sometimes we get 
we get the wrong idea and we say, well, no, I just can't do that. Uh, let's look at the word consider. It means to think about it, to ponder it, and then to uh, what's the what's the word? But to but to reckon it to be the case. Let's look at some other considers uh, that are maybe well known. How about? Uh, Romans 6, 11. Romans 6. He says, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. She says, I want you to think of it this way. And understand that this is the this is how it is to be in your, in your life and experience. Because as the believers, we, we died with Christ, so we're dead to sin. And we rose with him from the grave to newness of life. Okay, Consider yourselves dead to sin. How about another one? Uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to the following. Here's a list of things. Okay? So, if you're dead to those things, you, you can't be doing those things. You can't be participating in those things. Consider. So, think about it. Set your perspective about the, the trials and, and, and testing that you're encountering. Consider it to be joyful. In what sense? And how is that possible? Well, the, the testing, okay, um, the testing that you college students are going to experience is a, is a necessary part of your course of study and to complete it. And when you do, and when you do well, it's a joyful thing, isn't it? Yeah. So the trials and testing that we encounter are opportunities to demonstrate our faith. Now let's try to, deal, to, to take care of maybe some possible misconceptions about this, this verse. When adversity falls upon us, we don't paste a smile on our face and say, oh well, no. Sometimes we groan. And we shed tears. But as we then look upon it, we also have to think, all right, what did I know about God before this happened? When everything was going well, what did I know about God? It's still true. What's changed? Well, you have, or your circumstances have changed. But God hasn't changed at all. In a recent conversation I had with, with Jonathan, 
I mean, I, this this just was on display for me. So you you know, Jonathan had this ball broke his leg badly. Yeah. Okay. So here he is having just a wonderful day out with his sister, doing various fun things, and they're at this, I don't know what it was, some kind of a recreation center, and they got a climbing wall, and they did that. And so he was going to do one last climb, and, uh, and then they're going to go home for the day. And he decides he will do this 15-foot wall all the way to the top without assist, so without rope or harness or anything like that. And he makes it to the top, then he's going to get down. So, you know, there's a nice thick rubber mat down there, you know. He decides to just kind of jump down. Well, when he landed, he knew things had not gone well. And a bone is sticking out through the skin from your broken leg. Now, this was a sudden trial fallen upon him. He wasn't counting on this. This is going to interrupt his plans. Besides the, the immediate pain and the difficulty and, and, and then the surgery and pain-killing drugs that knock you out. And he was thankful for those. But, you know, this is a hard thing that just came on him. And, well, he gets himself recovered enough to make that trip to England with his, with his mother, using the crutches or uh, if for any long walks, but hop, yeah, around the house just trying to hop around. And knowing Jonathan, I think he probably pushed it more farther than he probably should have. But when he comes home, the leg is not healing right. And the scab comes off and there's oozing. He said, there's a hole that come all the way to the bone. I said, that doesn't sound good. So another surgery takes place and skin grafting and okay, you see, I'm trying to describe this trial, this testing that's befallen him. And now he's recovering from that. Okay. But what impressed me was his attitude about the whole thing. Okay. Now, it was not joyful when that leg snapped. And when the immediate shock wore off and the pain set in, and it was 20 minutes before the ambulance arrived, he was feeling it. That was not joyful. <clears throat> but he had a, as he considered that, looking back, a joyful, hopeful spirit about the world and, a, and, a, and an attitude. I was, I was impressed with that. <clears throat> And sometimes you, maybe you wouldn't expect that. Someone who was really hurting could be that way. But. So consider it all joy. It's something you have to think about. It's, an, it's a perspective and a mindset that you have to develop. Here, you know, God is, is still with me, and the Lord is going to see me through this. And he said, so now I'm even more motivated to study uh, this course. He wants to be a physician's assistant. And, and to work in the medical field doing some of the things I've seen all the people around me doing to me. <laughs> so he wants to do that. So that's what he's going to study. Consider it then all joy 
when you have this opportunity, and this is something that maybe takes a little time to, for you to, to think about before to get there, but, but do that. Various trials, and it's a, various is a word sometimes also used by multicolored or multifaceted. So all kinds of trials. What kind of trials do we, do we experience in life? Well, let's starting from the context of James, persecution. So a lot of these believers, these Jewish believers, were really taking the heat in the, in the Jewish communities where they lived for, for this, for believing the gospel. And that Jesus was the Messiah. And as Jesus predicted, it divided families, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, parents and children. One believes and the other has not. And there's a conflict between them. And uh, so persecution. Now persecution is, is not a a thing that many of us relate to, but it's something that's really coming on. Uh, the LGBTQ+, and I may have missed a letter or two, but agenda is, is really taken over the public school system, but also some large corporations. And so if you don't go along with that, you could lose your job. Or you could you could be penalized in other ways in the company you work for, and so persecution could result. What are some other various trials? How about accidents like Jonathan's breaking his leg, illnesses, tragedies, death, loss, financial business-wise or whatever. Broken relationships, oh, you could, you could name many others. So difficulties from without. Then there are difficulties from within. How about inner moral tests we often face and choices that we need to make. Temptation. Another testing. De- dealing with bad habits in ourselves. What are some of the ways that that people may respond to trials? See see how many of these uh, you'd have to claim. And, and this is a short list. Anger, bitterness, irritation, frustration, discouragement, depression, grumbling complaining, and a just plain old sour disposition about life. <laughs> uh, I got some of those. I got some of those. <laughs> okay, so that's the opposite of considering it all joy. Now, the thing about tests, if you fail the course, Failed the test. Well, it means you got to take it over. <laughs> so, if 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 you're going to all of these things, that's just going to make things hard for yourself. <laughs> so, anger—that's a quick response, isn't it? 
Do you ever get angry with God? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. But that's dangerous territory to go to when we talk about what we deserve. Uh, but there's a sense that I have been serving the Lord. I've been, you know, doing everything I think I'm supposed to. Why am I having this trouble? <laughs> uh, James points out some things then about this testing. Testing of your faith produces or develops or grows endurance. Uh, Just the other day, Derek planted a whole bunch of little seeds in a seed tray. And uh, he's got some squash and some peas and beans. Peas, I'm sure peas, right? Peas, oh yeah. It was for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to get the seedling started. When it's safe, we'll plant them somewhere. But the testing of our faith grows or develops or produces endurance. Now, I know Caleb uh, used to play football when he was in high school. Okay? And you know about football, you. You, 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 when you start practice, it's all about physical conditioning. Before you ever touch a football, you're running, doing all kinds of different exercises, and uh, and so forth. You're 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 developing some physical stamina so that you can last beyond the first quarter when you play somebody. Okay, see, so you need that. Well, God is building endurance in us, and the, and the way he does that is through testing and trials. So, therefore, the test is not to be looked on as an enemy, but as something that can help you. So he says, let endurance, and sometimes the word perseverance may be used in, in your translation, let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Okay? So if you want to be strong and and uh, just ready to go in the service of the Lord, you, you get there by moving through these trials and testing. Take a look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Just a few pages back in your Bible. Verse 36. Here the writer of Hebrews says, For you have need of endurance. We need that. One thing I've noticed is that God really values endurance. He doesn't like cowardice and the, the quitting. He doesn't like he doesn't like it when we wimp out. Okay? He likes endurance. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And and you see what he said here? 
Let endurance have its perfect result. Another Hebrews verse, chapter 12. We know this one, chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Anybody here ever run a marathon? No marathon runners here? I haven't either. Half. Half? Okay, that's good. That counts. Uh, But, you know, it helps if you've been doing some running so that when you go to do this thing, you don't embarrass yourself. That's why I don't run them. No, no. (laughs) But... uh, You need endurance to run the race. And at the end of of our letter here from James, he says in verse 11, we count those blessed who endured. We admire them. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now, is that what you remember about Job? Okay. Now, the book of Job, you know, we went through it some time ago. It was a tough book. Now, the popular conception, Job is about believers and suffering. No, it is not. Yes, there's a believer and there's great suffering. But the book is about the sovereignty of God in the life of his people. And so at the end... Of, of, of Job, and he talks about this, God's compassion. And remember, Job's, he's doing well, and his friends come with him, and when they finally start talking, they say, it's your fault, you've done something. He said, no, it wasn't, you know. And so he gets on this tack, and he even begins to argue this way with God. What, you know, I want to prove my case that I didn't do anything. This is, this is not some punishment I deserve for what I did. Okay. And he begins to to complain against God. But Job did not lose his faith. And when you get down to the end, God simply reminds him of who he is and who God is. And Job says, oh, right. Forget I said anything. I won't say any more. And God never explained to him why he did that. God doesn't have to explain himself. But But he did bless him and restored him. He had more children and more prosperity in his in his ranching business and so forth. And just to point out, it doesn't say that he got a different wife. His wife had a very bad response at first, didn't she? But I think she must have came around because there he's, he's God blesses him again. So let these uh, let endurance have its perfect result. The, the thing that God wants to develop in you, his intended result. Now, have you ever came to a point in your Christian life where you, you just quit or gave up? Maybe if you have, you wouldn't want to admit it, but I have. In the, in the greatest uh, trial in my life, I did reach a point where I just... Gave up. I was just cold, dead spiritually, it seemed. 
And I would come in to the meeting on Sunday, drag myself in, sit down in the back. And I remember even saying in my mind, well, Lord, I'm here. I got nothing for you. No sacrifice of praise, no offering of worship. I, I got nothing. I'm just here. That's all I got. And it seemed as though, for a time, the Lord said, okay, that's, uh, that'll do for now. And uh, a brother came to me, and he said, you know, I'm sure it was awkward. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. He said, I, I want, and he said with tears, I want to help you, but I just don't know what to do. And I said, well, I don't know either, so I can't help you. That's kind of where my attitude was. I was. But you know what? He kept coming. Even though he didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. He just kept coming. And I kept coming. And got through that in a few weeks and things turned up. Now Peter had a great failure in his life. But there was another instance before that where Peter and the rest of the disciples were really put on the spot. And I was just looking at that again this morning in John chapter 6. So there were large crowds that had been following Jesus and most of them seemed to be there for the free food and to watch some miracles. So he deliberately gave them a hard teaching he knew that in their mindset they were not going to understand and it says they, start, they started going away. He said, we are not going to listen to this. And he says to the disciples, well, are you going to leave too? And Peter speaks up for the rest of them. Where will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. What Peter is saying is, what we knew about you before you ever gave us this hard one is still true. We don't get this. But we know that you alone have the words of eternal life. And so they stayed. Now Jesus explained to them what that teaching meant. Then they understood. But at another time of testing, there in the courtyard of the high priest, Peter seemed to forget what he knew before Jesus was arrested. And he lost it there. But the Lord restored him. In verses 5 through 8, we see that God is ready to help every one of us in a, in, through trial and a testing, whatever we're experiencing. God's ready to help us. He says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, sometimes we may have looked at that and thought, well, that is a general truth of anywhere in the Christian life. And I think that's true, but he specifically in the context here is relating this to, to trials. See, when you're undergoing a trial or testing, sometimes you, you just don't know what to do. And so you, you come to God and say, God, help me. I don't know what to do. You lack wisdom? Ask God. Now, this next part is a little perplexing. It is to me, and maybe it is to you. He gives to all men generously without reproach. 
Well, what's this reproach business here? What does that mean? We could understand generously, but God gives us wisdom without reproach? Why? What does this mean? Well, another way of saying this is without scolding or rebuke. What? Well, you ever come to God with a with a plea for help, but you're thinking, well, you know, I, I haven't really been what I should have been, and I haven't really been doing as well as I should have, and maybe God's not going to help me because of that. He's trying to tell you that's not the way he operates. As, as a father who has a as, as, a, as a child who's, who's come to him, and maybe this child has been having some disciplinary issues that you've had to deal with, still when he comes to you, you don't reject him. And if he's wanting something good and right, you approve that, and you help him. And so our Heavenly Father, if we come to him, it's not a, well, I, I've been kind of weak, I haven't... Uh, I haven't done what I should. The Lord will still hear your prayer and he'll still help you. And generously. Now, there's a condition. Uh oh. There's a condition. Verse 6. But he must ask in faith. Without any doubting. Now, on the one hand, we might say, how can I be sure I've got complete faith and no doubt? Well, don't overthink this. Don't overthink this. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And uh, in verse 8, he says... being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What's he talking about here when he talks about doubting? Well, a, a double-minded man, for example, means of, of two minds. Yes or no. So when you, when you come to God asking for help, it needs to be yes, only yes, and not a no. Meaning, well, I... Ask God to help me, but I don't really believe he's going to do anything for me. That's the double-minded man. Okay? So we know, we're familiar with uh, what the wind does on water. We don't have to go all the way to the ocean to see that, but even on a lake or even a slough on a windy day, you can see the waves, they come in, they go out back and forth, back and forth. Well, we're not to be like that when we come to God in prayer. <clears throat> when, uh, when you pray, be thoughtful in prayer be real and make sure you know what you said after you say amen 
You may have heard some prayers that sounded very fine speech, but what they really mean? So, so after you pray, Logan, how old are you? Um, almost nine. Almost nine. So that means still eight. Yes. Okay. So when you pray, and if an eight-year-old boy was listening to your prayer, would he be able to say, this is what that person asked for, this is what he wanted God to do for him, and this is what it might look like if that prayer was answered? you think you could pass a test like that? Well, pay attention to our prayers. We should not pray in cliché. We should be intent in our prayers in the sense that we know what we ask God for. And so if he answers our prayer, we can give thanks because he gave us what we asked for. But, but no doubting, and and he says in verse 7 that the one who is who is doubting, like I, I said the words in prayer, but I'm not sure anybody's really listening, or if he is, I'm not sure he would help me. If you're like that, God is frustrated, and he says, he's disgusted with that, and he says, that man ought not to expect you to receive anything from the Lord. So if you pray, really mean it. I had a friend named Ken in Helena. Ken and his wife Marilyn. Marilyn, Ken has gone to be with the Lord. He had, he had brain cancer and eventually passed away. Marilyn's still alive. It's been a few years since we saw her, but Ken was a, was a dear friend in the assembly. Well, one Saturday, we had a monthly uh, men's breakfast. Met on a Saturday morning, one Saturday morning of the month. We're at a men's breakfast, and Ken shares an uh, a prayer request with us. We, one of the brothers would bring a devotional after our meal. We, but then we would share personal prayer requests. This is not general requests, but things we want one another to pray for for ourselves. Ken shared a prayer request. He he needed he, he needed uh, wisdom from the Lord about how to deal with a situation with his adult daughter. And he also needed, he said, finances to uh, get her out of the bad place where she was at and into some decent housing that would be good for her and the little children that she had. And so he, he asked us to pray for him, and, and he prayed. So, do you know where Ken was on Monday morning? No, you said, at work? Well, we could have wished that were the case. No, he was sitting across from a loan officer in his bank negotiating a second mortgage on his home, which he couldn't afford, and his wife was not in favor of, in order to solve his problem. Now, what's the point? On Saturday he prayed. He asked us to pray. But a day hadn't gone by before he decided he'd solve his own problem, he did not wait for God to even answer his prayers. A double-minded man. He said, yes, 
on Saturday, God helped me. And he said, no, on Sunday, I'll take care of this myself. And it didn't work out too well, as you might expect. So don't be double-minded of two minds. Be yes when you pray. He introduces the subject in the next section here, verses 9 through 11, poor versus rich. He says, let the brother of humble circumstances, the one of modest income, glory in his high position. What's he talking about here? His high position, excuse me, is who he is in Christ. But but along with that, in the context of of what he's dealing with here, is someone who's somewhat more on the poverty end of things, is his this brother really looks for the provision of God for his daily life. So the so that line in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is a lot more practical to the brother of humble circumstances. And then you have the rich man. Uh, glory in his humiliation? What's that? Well, one of the, one of the difficulties of, of being wealthy, and that's a hard concept maybe in our culture to even define because uh, the ones who would say, oh, I'm not wealthy, compared to someone in a foreign culture, we would certainly would be. But uh, the wealthy man has, has a, a difficulty in uh, trusting God for his needs because he already has so much in store. And in, in the culture in which James writes, there was the assumption that if you were rich, it's because God was blessing you and you were already better than everybody else. Now, a rich man is much freer with his advice on how you ought to fix your life than a poor man is. <laughs> I've noticed that myself. So, the rich man who looks to his resources to handle whatever difficulties or trials might come along, and only after all of that is gone, does he fall upon the mercies of God. Uh, that's where his humiliation comes in. I've, uh, it's, it's been said many times that for every rich man who can handle wealth with humility, generosity, and faith, there are a thousand or ten thousand <coughs> poor people who can handle poverty. And I think I can handle poverty better than wealth. (laughs) I'm ashamed to say that, but I think I could. So, in the context of suffering, of trials and testing, 
it might seem that the rich man is better off. He's got resources. He's got a bank account. Whereas the poor man immediately throws himself upon the grace and mercy of God. It's a higher position in that sense. For he says, and this is interesting, he says, he will pass away in verse 10. doesn't say his, his wealth will pass away. We know that, can, that happens. And the stock market was tanking the other day, in case you didn't notice that. <laughs> uh, and in verse 11, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will, will fade away. In verse 12, he, he returns again to, I think, to verse 2, like an end cap here, and brings this all together. He says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved. That phrase means, once he has passed the test. So, Kevin, you're going to have some tests and I guess Vanessa coming up here in the next week or so. And, uh, well, you want to pass those tests. So once you've passed the test, here he says, this test, you will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So you want to run the race with endurance, and you want to win, and you want to pass the test and receive the Lord's well done. Okay. What then can we do here? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Stop and think about it. Okay. It can be a hard thing. Uh, You don't know what to do? Ask God for help. And then wait for him to answer. And even if you are then a brother of humble circumstances, you can have joy, hope, and peace in your life. And you can encourage others in that way as well. Let's pray. Father, I'm just remembering that verse says to us to cast all our cares upon him, upon the Lord Jesus, because he cares for us. God, we thank you for that. Lord, we want to graduate with a esteemed degree from the College of Trials and Testing. We want to pass the test. God, help us to pause in the time of trial and testing and to recognize the opportunity of faith and to call upon you for help. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.